I, Luke, send a message to all those that follow our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a terrible evil in the world. Darkness is spreading. I know you are suffering persecution. Faith is being tested. I know you question the way. But I've come to Rome to find Paul. To write his story. To bring hope. To bring light into this present darkness. And to remind us all how God changed a hateful man. Who will change the history of the world. Luke, am I dreaming? I'm here. Rome is stained with the blood of her brothers and sisters. No! This is what trusting God gets you. People are desperate. We're the only light left in this city. I cannot fix their faith. You can inspire their faith. You risk people looking to me before Christ. The day I heard you preach, my God, I saw Christ in you. There are men, women, children that will never meet you. There must be a handwritten account of your acts. What do you really know about these Christians? I am concerned with these documents. We've got to get these out of Rome. Think that we are plotting an escape. Right, another word, and I send you to whatever god you want. Luke! They've gathered men to overthrow Rome. To what end? Justice! They want revenge. No! Why not? Love is the only way. You will have the strength to do what is right. We have people die today. This world doesn't know a thing about love. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. This is your first time with us. We've been looking at the book of Acts. I think this is Sunday number 44. Just taking a journey with the apostles through the early history of the church. This is through the perspective of one man, Luke, writing this story. The gospel is spreading all over the Roman Empire. The history of the gospel is God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but might have everlasting life. And in sending that son, he fulfilled the promises made to the people of Israel. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And from there began the adventure of the ages, the hand of God reaching out to humanity. And in our story thus far in Acts, we are now following the apostle Paul, whose home base is in Antioch of Syria, and he is left on his third missionary journey to establish new churches as well as to visit churches that he's already established, taking the gospel to the Jew first and also to Gentiles. So he goes to his hometown in Tarshish, then he journeyed across Galatia, visiting places he'd been before, and then goes into what was then known as Asia. That part of the world is now known as Turkey, or as they say there, Turkia. They'll correct you if you call it Turkey there. We're not Turkeys, it's Turkia. Anyway, and he, he arrives in Ephesus, and that's where our story begins today, in Ephesus. It happened, verse 1, while Apollos was at Corinth. Apollos was a, 
a disciple of John the Baptist that had learned the fullness of the gospel and uh, was a powerful preacher, and he'd gone to Corinth to another church that Paul had established to strengthen them. So while he was gone, Paul went across Asia, uh, western Turkey, in the upper regions and came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So John the Baptist's baptism was in preparation. It was like a Jewish mikvah, a ceremonial washing, a dipping in the water in preparation for something holy that's going to happen. They would do this prior to holy days. Here's the holy Messiah coming. Make his path straight. Repent. Make things right. Pay restitution. Stop sinning. Get ready. Get baptized. The Messiah is coming. Well, the Messiah came, died for the sins of the world, and ascended to heaven and sent back the Holy Spirit. Now baptism is different. It's looking at what the Messiah did for us. He died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose from the grave and then ascended into heaven. And so we die to ourselves. We choose to pursue God's will and not our own will. That's called repentance. That happens at conversion when we believe on the Lord. And then we bury the old life symbolically in the waters of baptism, rising to walk in the newness of life, open to receiving all that he has for us. He ascended to send back the Holy Spirit. And so Paul rebaptizes these guys. We'll see in a minute there's 12 of them. When they heard this, verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way, that's what the church was called back then, before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, all right, the people that had become converted. He took them and they reasoned daily in the school of Tyrannus. This was, a, I guess, a private facility, a classroom, a teaching room, as it were, and he reserved some time there and continued ministering there for two years. So that all who dwelt in Asia, this part of the world called Asia there, all who dwelt there heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Can we say influence? That's powerful. You can't do that. I mean, there wasn't electronic media back there. There wasn't printing presses. Just word of mouth and the power of the Holy Spirit. Significant things happened. God, verse 11, worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. This is the only occasion where you see this done in the Bible, so you can't really build a doctrine out of it. I mean, I know virtue flowed from the hymn of Jesus 
but he was wearing those clothes at the time. But this is, this is fabric taken from the body of an apostle to someone else. It's a transfer of power. Some have tried to harness this and turn it into a gimmick for raising money. You know, send us $500, we'll send you a prayer cloth and put it in your glove box and you'll never have a car wreck. You know, that kind of nonsense. But it happened. Why is it, as Christians, we either are into extinction or extremism? Extinction, it doesn't happen anymore, sensationism. Or extremism or sensationalism. It happens today and we're going to make it happen right now, you know. If I can't get, you know, if God doesn't move, I'm going to move God. Man, how arrogant can you get? Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, whoop, there's an example of some right there, took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. Now, these guys were way outside the Torah. They were into some weird practices. They had... Uh, I read about some that had a ring they would put in someone's nose to pull the demons out through the nose. Yeah, he's coming out, you know, ah, yeah, let's listen to that demon talk, you know. So maybe this is the easy way to do it. I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. So these seven young men, their father's a well-known priest, tried this. And the person they were, they were trying to drive the demon out of had his spirit speak out of him and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? I was talking to my dad yesterday about this story, and he said he was in India one time in one of the cities there approaching a, a, uh, a big, he described it like a, a block of water, like a, 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 a size of a city block, a, a pool of water for people to wash for their, their uh, Hindu rituals and worships. And as he's just approaching that, a voice behind him says, I know you, Samuel Latta, I know you. Samuel Latta, I know you. And he turns around, and there's this old Asian man speaking English. And my dad says, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. Get away from me. And the guy ran away. All right. Just a little trivia there. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. That's supernatural strength. If you're ever in a scenario where demons start to manifest, don't do laying on of hands. The, the commission is lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. Cast out devils and they'll lead. So I don't know that you have to lay hands on someone to cast the devils out. It's the authority that we've been given by Jesus that drives them out. So don't get into hand-to-hand -hand combat with someone. I was at one scenario, and the demons were talking out of a guy, and the poor Christians trying to get him delivered were getting mad at the demon and slapping the person. <laughs> don't do that. Don't wound the poor guy. He's the one suffering. Don't make him suffer more. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. So this, you know, word spreads. And fear fell on them all. And the name of Jesus, 
the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. These weren't just just scrolls, but these were cylinders where they would keep incantations and things like that. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money burned up right there. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. If you're dabbling in witchcraft, don't do that. The temptation of it is uh, do this magic and you can control the elemental spirits of the earth. And they'll let you control them for a bit, but then comes payday where they devour your soul and take away your will to live and you become suicidal. A few years ago, a pastor here in the city said, man, I I need for you to help me minister to a guy. Um, He's in a graveyard wanting to kill himself. And so um, he brought him to the office. We were at another location at the time. And you won't believe this story, but this was a temptation that he yielded to. He was a Southern gospel singer whose career wasn't really taking off. Cried out to God, and his prayers weren't being answered like he thought they should. And somehow Satan tempted him like he tempted Jesus, you know, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you what you want. Remember that temptation? He began to pray to Satan to stop resisting his ministry. And it seemed to work for a while, and then all hell broke loose. He lost his family, his marriage, his children, and his will to live. Why would you do that? Well, it's a temptation. We're all tempted with weird stuff, aren't we? And so we just, you know, my brother and I, we just prayed for him and uh, told those things to leave him alone. And I've seen him off and on over the years, and he's doing well. Picked up the pieces of his life. The last time I heard him, he was on the radio preaching. Moving on. He's not doing that no more. So don't be dabbling in in the stuff. Um, Years ago, a vet and I were pastoring in another location, another church, and uh, a young couple called us in the middle of the night and says, we let some people spend the night with us, and it's 50 degrees in the house. We think she's a witch. We're going to kick them out. Oh, no, don't kick them out. They need help. The devil's just trying to scare you off. So we prayed, and to make a long story short, they brought that couple to church, and they both got saved. So we told them, get rid of those, get rid of your books, you know. Well, the husband had heard from somebody, when you burn these books, there's all kinds of weird colored flames. So he held held off on getting rid of the books until they could um, be burned and they could watch the cool flame show. His wife didn't know he was doing this. And one night, for some reason, he picked up the book and began to be lured in to how to control the elemental spirits of the earth how to uh, suspend gravity and all that stuff. And he came to church uh, uh, on a Sunday during that time, and the sermon was on rebellion is a sin of witchcraft. He went home and just threw those books away. said, I delayed my obedience, and it lured me into disobedience. Let's pray. 
Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that your word would grow mightily and prevail in Granbury, Texas through us, through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you today on the question, are you empowered by the spirit? Not have you been empowered by the spirit, or do you want to be empowered by the spirit? But are you empowered by the spirit? Is your life every day empowered by the spirit? Is the wind of God's spirit blowing in your life in such a way that he is directing you and empowering you to do what only he can empower you to do? I don't know if you realize it, but the Christian life really can only be lived in the power of the spirit. Without the spirit, we become hypocrites. We become judgmental. We become pharisaical. We become led by the flesh. And the Bible promises us if you're led by the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But we've got to surrender our independence to live a spirit-empowered life. So today's sermon actually is a call to a quest of union with the Holy Spirit like we've never had before. Here's some examples that the Bible tells us about of the Spirit empowering people. First, the promises. Jesus in Luke 24, 49 told his followers, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Luke ends that book. He begins the next book that he wrote, Acts chapter 1, with the same promise in different words. Power to be his witnesses, Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I do not believe it's God's will for us to be his witnesses and be afraid. To be his witnesses and be tongue-tied. To be his witnesses and it be forced. But it comes through us, through his power. There is a zeal, an inspiration to share the message of the love of God because of the activity of the Spirit blowing through our lives. We see the first example of this promise fulfilled in Acts 2. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, that is, tongues that were not their own as the Spirit was giving them utterance. These people were from Galilee. They're in Jerusalem. There's some 15 different nationalities listed in this book. And these nationalities were amazed because they heard Galileans speaking in their languages from back home. So these personalities, these people, began talking to each other. Not in tongues, they're not believers. But they began talking to each other in their common tongue, either Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic. Hey, what is this? These people are Galileans. You can tell they're fishermen. Look at their clothes. How did they learn how to speak like an Italian? You know. And Peter was able to stand up and preach and quote from Joel chapter 2, that God would pour out his spirit and would manifest prophecy, dreams, and vision. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Notice these are not one-time occurrences. Prophesying is ministering the truth in love. It is speaking words of edification, exhortation, and comfort. To edify is to build up. To exhort is to call up, and to comfort is to calm down. Dreams, visions, 
We see this happening through the story of Acts. God giving them visions in the middle of the day and dreams in the middle of the night, directing their steps and how to minister in his power. He's quoting from Joel chapter 2 that says, It will come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. He goes on to say in verse 29, And on my maidservants and on my manservants I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can we say empowerment? This is ministry that's directed through dreams and visions, directed through the leadership of His Holy Spirit. Another manifestation of the Spirit is speaking the Word of God boldly. This is prophesying. In Luke, in Acts 4, there's a prayer meeting. They had been threatened with persecution. They prayed, Lord, make us bold. Uh, Confirm your word with signs and wonders. And when they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So we see several things that, that can happen with empowerment. Tongues, prophecy, dreams, vision, boldness. In Acts 10, we see also, in addition to tongues, magnifying God. Peter's preaching to the first group of Gentiles to hear the gospel. And while he was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on all all those who heard the word. They became believers while they're hearing the gospel. And those of the circumcision, that is the Jewish believers who believed, were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then in Acts 13, 52, we have an example of believers filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Now, there is, I, I grew up in churches that emphasized the baptism of the Holy Spirit with tongues. They so emphasized it, it became a, a have-to thing. And there was no empowerment for ministry for the believers. That was the preacher's job. You paid your tithes, and you warmed the pew, and you attended church, and you helped out. But you better speak in tongues or you're not saved. What a rip-off. To let's say they really are receiving the Holy Spirit, but not to walk in the power that is for them to fulfill beyond the walls of any church building. We're not talking about in spirit empowerment, we're not talking about an experience. We're talking about a lifestyle of dependence upon God's Spirit. We're talking about God using us to do things we would never do in ourselves. With joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And then our text today, we see them, these believers, uh, being baptized again and speaking in tongues and prophesying. I have seen this happen even in here, in this very room. We read it. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So in the occasions that we've looked at, There is Acts 2, they're sitting in a room and the Holy Spirit fills them. In Acts 10, 
they're sitting in a room, and while they're hearing preaching, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. But in Acts 8, Philip had gone there and preached to the Samaritans. They brought the apostles down from Jerusalem, and they laid hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And they were filled. It doesn't say what happened, what the sign was. They were filled. Now, there was a sorcerer there who wanted that kind of ability, and he offered him, Peter, money. Hey, give me this ability ability to lay hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit, and uh, I'll give you some money. And Peter pretty much put a curse on him. Strong rebuke. If a guy like that approached some of our charlatans today, they would have taken his money and sold him a new anointing times 10 for $2,600. But here in Acts 19, we see them receiving the Holy Spirit with hands laid on them, just like in Acts 8. Now, you may feel like this guy. How is this relevant to me? I just want to know how to pay my bills. I just got a car in the shop, you know, I got late notices on everything. How is this relevant to me? It's very relevant. Let your need drive you closer to God than you've ever been before. And when that need is met, don't go back to your old way of living. You're developing a new lifestyle. Maybe that's why the answer to your prayers are being delayed a little bit, so that you can draw closer to God and begin to walk in union with Him, with His Spirit, so that when the breakthrough comes, the answer comes, you're not going to go back to the old ways. We're talking about being empowered. Not were you empowered. You know, back in 1949, I received the baptism. No, we're talking about a lifestyle. A life that is baptized in the Spirit. A life that's not weird. A life that is powerful, full of passion and zeal to do the will of God with joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I found another video to kind of illustrate for us what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I don't want to be foolish, so it's important that I learn how to be filled with the Spirit. The context has filling being in contrast to being drunk. So it's obvious that we're to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Greek verb used here for filled means to be constantly being filled. If I use the word picture of a water jug constantly being filled, it spills all over the place and there's a lot of waste. Unless we're a leaky jug, but then that's still pretty wasteful and messy. So to help me understand this principle, I found another word picture. A sail needs to be constantly being filled. You can't fill it on Sunday, sail around all week, and then fill it again the next Sunday. In order to keep moving, you need to constantly keep the sail filled. If you don't, you're just dead in the water and you're drifting with the current. Instead of your sail moving you, it's just flapping like a flag. You're not even able to steer because you have no power and you make no forward progress. In order to keep your sail constantly being filled, you need to find the direction of the wind and trim your sail by letting it out or pulling it in and adjusting your tiller to fill your sail. Then you get the benefit of the power of the wind that is constantly surrounding you. By trimming your sail and keeping your tiller focused on the correct angle, you find that sweet spot. You get the maximum power to glide through the water. 
So for me, the idea of being filled by the Spirit is being constantly yielded to God by faith, praying to give Him control and to choose my direction, to provide His power to live life the way He wants me to. I know there's debates whether or not a person who's saved is filled with the Spirit. But why would Paul write to saved people in Ephesus, this very town where this happened, telling them, they're saved already, telling them to be filled with the Spirit continually? The Spirit's activity is what draws us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. He is Jesus in the earth. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit comes in us to make his home in us, to make Jesus real to us. He is the Spirit of Christ. But we are to be filled with him. I think it's kind of like more of us is made available to the Spirit so that he can fill us and direct us where he wants to go. Sometimes I think This doesn't happen because we're filled with ego, filled with pride, filled with bitterness, filled with disappointment, filled with unmet expectations, filled with unforgiveness. When the commission is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person here that this word would apply to us all, or those that need to discover the fullness of the Spirit for the first time, I pray, Lord, that you would generate in them, in us, a hunger like we've never had before for all that you have for us. And for those of us that have experienced the fullness of the Spirit, but maybe we've, we've kind of been drawn away by the cares of life, I pray, Lord, you'd set us on a quest of rediscovery in Jesus' name, Lord, renew our first love where we depend on you like never before. We trim our sails in alignment with where your wind is blowing and not where the winds of temptation are blowing. In Jesus' name, Lord, help us to set our course in alignment with your will. Amen. Amen. As uh, force comes on up, um, we just challenge you to, to, to set yourself on a quest to draw near to God than you've ever drawn before and to stay near to God. Draw near to God, the Bible says, and He will draw near to you. We are as close to God as we want to be. The nearness to God isn't just available to monks who live in a monastery somewhere. It's available to every child of God. You're as close to God as you want to be. So set yourself on a quest. There's three things involved in being near to God. There's His Word, His principles. Get in His Word. A few weeks ago, we made a Bible reading schedule available to, available to you, and maybe you haven't been able to keep up with the daily thing, and, and it's not happening. Well, I got another idea for you. This is available out there on the round table. It's a Bible reading record where you just keep track of what you've read. Let's see, you read some verses, some chapters in Matthew, and then you want to jump somewhere else. You got ADD going on. We well, just keep track of where you're at in Matthew. You don't have to have 49 bookmarks. 
This is your record name. Just keep this in your Bible. Then there's the people of God. Don't forsake assembling yourself together as often as you see the day approaching. In our 24-7 culture, this is so important that we encourage one another. And I'm talking about more than Sunday morning. I'm talking about meeting with brothers and sisters during the week even to encourage one another, to not remind one another of what the truth is. This helps us set our rudder on the right course. And then there's the Holy Spirit, the invisible reality, the powerful Spirit of God that is in the earth, using us for His glory. It's as simple as starting your day by saying, Holy Spirit, fill me today. Use me for your glory. Don't get confused by all the debates on the gifts. Seek the giver of the gifts. Amen? And John the Baptist told these disciples that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So seek the baptizer daily. Let him empower you. Lead me in your steps today, Lord. I want to do your will. And you may face some choices that are really hard. Know this. You cannot do it by yourself. You need others to come alongside you and pray with you. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit to empower you. God bless you. Let's worship the Lord.